And for our reflection this afternoon, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first two verses. We'll not be expounding this particular passage, but we'll be using it as a basis of our discussion this afternoon. 1 Timothy 4, beginning at verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. November 1978, Jim Jones, The People's Temple, Jonestown, Guyana. I vividly recall waking up one Sunday morning to the grim news of the hundreds of people who died after drinking fruit punch laced with cyanide. Many of these people coming out of very sound Bible-teaching churches were fatally duped into following a cult leader by the name of Jim Jones, who to them was somewhat of a messianic figure. And incidentally, that well-known expression today, drink the Kool-Aid, which basically means to follow the masses into unquestioning obedience to some person, thing, or ideology originated from this very event. People today say, you've drunk the Kool-Aid. You have been duped into popular thinking. And I want to say that spiritual deception is as old as human history. We recall how that in the Garden of Eden, as recorded in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, a tool of Satan, deceived Eve by its subtlety, Deceived Eve by its craftiness. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32, Paul, in his farewell message to the Ephesian elders, issued both a warning and a charge in the following terms. Here's what the Apostle Paul said concerning conditions in the last days with regard to spiritual deception. And what is really striking here is the source of the spiritual deception. Where it would originate, the place from which it would arise. Here's what Paul says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So two things I want to talk about this afternoon. Very quickly, first of all, the fact of spiritual deception. The fact of spiritual deception. The reality and gravity of spiritual deception is evident from the repeated warnings we have throughout the word of God against being deceived time and again in scripture scripture warns us against being deceived from as far back as the old testament we hear the prophet jeremiah warning the people of his day in jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 8 here's what the prophet jeremiah said to the people of his day for thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. What a timely warning for these days in which you and I live. 
In the Gospels, we hear our Lord Jesus warning, see that no one leads you astray. Matthew 24, verse 4, Luke chapter 21, and verse 8. Be not deceived is the repeated warning throughout the word of God. And the very warning itself indicates our vulnerability or proneness to falling for deception. These words, be not deceived, suggest the very real possibility of our being led astray into error of one kind or another. In fact, listen to some of the things Scripture says we are to be concerned about when it comes to the matter of deception. First of all, Scripture warns us. It warns of the deception that comes in the area of beliefs. Scripture warns us of deception with regards to beliefs that we entertain. What are some of those beliefs? And before I mention some of these beliefs, let me make it clear that we need to point out that one of the things that makes spiritual deception so dangerous is that on the surface, errors and heresies are not always patently obvious. They do not necessarily come in ways that are outrageous and outlandishly wrong. Scripture speaks of them, for example, as being secretly introduced. In fact, Peter talks about those who will bring in secretly damnable or destructive heresies. Paul will write concerning those who creep into houses and they will come with their insidious teachings. They will infiltrate the minds of the simple. And that, you see, is consistent with how the author and source of all heretical, deceptive teachings work. Scripture suggests that Satan, not only, he need not appear as a hideous, repulsive figure. Many times people think that Satan comes, is the, the satanic presence or satanic manifestation comes in the form of the bizarre, the hideous, the outrageous. And yet scripture tells us clearly that one of the ways he works is that he's a master of disguise and deception. In the Garden of Eden, he came subtly, he came insidiously, he came not in outrageous terms, he came using the, a tool in the serpent. Today he comes in the garb of religiosity, he comes in the form today of respectability, and uh, we notice, for example, he will come even through respected theologians and pastors to inject his damnable lies into the minds, into the souls of men and women. Second Corinthians 11, verse 13, Paul is writing to Corinthian Christians, and Paul says there, by way of warning, he says there, he warns of men who are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he continues in verses 14 and 15, he says this, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So let me tell you some of the belief systems in which people fall into deception. In the first place, Scripture warns against our being deceived with respect to a life of sin and ungodliness. Scripture warns against our being deceived 
with respect to a life of sin and ungodliness. What am I talking about? To think, for example, along the rest of the world that sin is no big deal. That the way you and I live in no way matters to God to imagine that all will end up in heaven irrespective of how they have lived. But listen to the warning of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul is writing the Corinthian church, a church that was laden with sin, a church that was laden with all kinds of immoralities and tensions, divisions. He says there, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually moral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, do not be fooled by the trend of the world. Do not be fooled by this popular notion that sin is no light matter. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6, here's what he says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Here it comes once again. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here is warning in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 1 John 3 verses 7 and 8, the Apostle John warns, he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So first of all, the word of God warns us as professing Christians. It even warns those who are in the world, be not deceived with respect to behavior. Do not be deceived with respect to conduct. Why? Because as sure as day follows night, God will judge sin. Secondly, Scripture warns against our falling for the deceitful humanistic ideologies of this world. It warns against falling for the humanistic worldly ideologies of this world. Listen to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We have today, we were talking about that in Sunday school this morning, where to a large extent the church is being governed by humanistic thinking, by humanistic ideologies. People are running the church according to the standards of the world. And because of that, what is happening? People are thinking worldly even as they are living worldly. And how true it is, we become what we think. We become what we think. If we keep listening to the unsaved, if we keep listening, turning on television to certain programs, and there are some of them which, truth be told, we listen. And may I say this, garbage. People sitting, on a couch, people sitting around a table and they're just gabbing nonsense. Some Christians are entertained by that. 
But here's the truth. That's the humanistic ideas and ideologies of this world. The word of God says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We must watch our belief system with regard to the ideologies of the world. What are we supposed to be doing? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, casting down imaginations and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Thirdly, Scripture warns against deception as regards false views of God's character. What are we talking about? For example, here's what the Apostle James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. James is going to tell us now how people have wrong belief systems about God. Just as we find people today have wrong belief systems about God. Here's what he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom... There is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, as suggested by James chapter 1, verse 13, and again, the context will help us know what was happening in James' day, why James wrote those words. As suggested by James chapter 1 and verse 13, there evidently were in the church of the apostle James in that day, those who were erroneously teaching that temptations come from God. And James, in response to that, says, no, no. In fact, here's what he says in verses 14 through 16. Each person, he says, let no man say when tempted, I'm tempted of God, because God cannot be tempted with evil. God tempts no man. But, verses 14 through 16, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, here's what he says, do not be deceived. And that's where we get verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. James says, see to it that you, you're not led astray into thinking wrongly about God. Some well-known figures today, beloved, who have walked away, presumably walked away from the Lord, one of the things I find common with some of these prominent figures, they say something like this. My mother died, I prayed, and I can't understand why God let this happen. And so what they do, they walk away. Well, to begin with, if one walks away from the faith, one never had it to begin with. That's what scripture suggests. They went out from us. Because they were not a part of us. For if they were a part of us, they would have continued. But by leaving us, by going away, going out, they proved that they were not one of us. And there are people today who, there are ministers today, professors today, who went to good Bible colleges, Bible seminaries, and they'll explain that they could not reconcile the problem of evil and tragedy with a good and loving God. What is that? Wrong thinking about God. Beloved, here's the truth. We begin to think wrongly about God. We're going to begin to have mean thoughts about God. We're going to walk away from the faith. People today are greatly deceived as to the nature and character of God. Let me tell you some of the ways people have wrong belief system about God. You see, endeavoring to cast God in their own image, after their own ideas, they think God is like them. And what scripture tells us that. Psalm 50 verse 21, where God rebuking these people, he says, the psalmist has God saying there, 
you thought I was one like you, like one of yourself. People today concoct ideas about God. They frame those ideas, they believe those ideas, and they live those ideas, and in their living, they live lives that suggest autonomy of God. Why? Because creating God in their own image, they don't need the living God who is revealed in Scripture. Watch our belief system, is what the Word of God is saying. Fourthly, Scripture warns against deception as regards the appearing and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, His second coming. Scripture warns deception as regards the appearance and second coming of Christ. Listen to Jesus' warning in Matthew 24, 4 and 5. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many away. Jim Jones, David Koresh. And the list goes on and on throughout history. There are people who have arisen with messianic complex and who make pretensions, make claims of being Christ. And here's the truth, many follow them to their own destruction. You say, that could never happen to us. And here's what I'm saying. Many of these people, among the 900 who drank the Kool-Aid, they were coming out of solid, strong, Bible-teaching churches. Why did some of them leave? You know why some of them left? And here's a complaint people make today. Well, you know, I'm looking for something more. Every week we come, open our Bibles, and we sit and we listen to preaching, and nothing exciting. And um, people become disenchanted. So they will leave, I'm not saying necessarily this church, but churches that are sound in and serious of the preaching of the Word of God, they'll leave. Why? Because they can go here, they can go there and get the goods that they're looking for, which sadly does not include a solid, steady diet of the Word of God. And that's what happens. People walk away from the truth. Why? Because among other things, they don't want to be confronted concerning their lies before God. They want to live without a sense of responsibility, without a sense of accountability. Nobody tells me what to do. The preaching is too stern. And mark you, here's the point. Sometimes the saying might be justified because sometimes, here's the truth, if our preaching is lopsided to the point where we are always preaching about that with, for example, calling people constantly, examine yourself, and there's this strictness, and there's this tightness, and we don't bring a broad-scale diet of God's truth, and we harp on the doctrine of election. Are you among the elect? And by the way, those things should be preached, but if that's all that is being said constantly, sometimes these things are heavy, you know. And um, I know, for example, sometimes even preaching through series, I have to take a break because, you know, it's kind of, you know, I said, you know, need a little break. I need a little change. And I imagine it's people listening, you know, think of that too, you know. Um, one of the things about our Lord Jesus, it is said that when he taught, he taught one scripture, one part of the gospel, he says, as they could bear it, as they could hear. And um, we preachers need to be mindful of that. But scripture warns against deception regarding the second coming of Christ. In Luke 21, verse 8, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. There are people today who will say, listen, Christ is coming back in five years. Because based on our calculation, we discover from the time of Daniel, and they show you these charts, and they say, look, all of these things, it means 
2024 is the year we better get ready. Buy up your stuff. And have all of these things online. We need to buy up your food supply. Why? Because the tribulation is coming and um, you better have some food stuff ready. No, that, that's a separate thing. If you can do that, do that. But here's the point. We must be wary of certain teachings that set the concerning Christ's coming. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 to 3, he says this, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together, we ask your brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. See the warning again? Warning concerning second coming, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the son of destruction. Now, that's a whole subject that we can't get into right now. In the context of his discussion regarding the second coming of Christ, the Apostle Peter warns against deception with regard to the Lord's coming. He warns against being carried away with the error of lawless people and so lose our stability. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17. And in the context of that warning, what was Peter talking about? If we go back to the earlier part of chapter 3, Peter was saying that in the last days there would come some who would be saying, where is the promise of his coming? Because ever since the Father slept, everything continued as they are. People today the world are saying that same kind of thing. And many Christians becoming discouraged they said, yes, it's true. We have always been hearing of this. It's not logical. And so people fall for the trap. Well, not only does scripture warn of deception in the area of our beliefs, but secondly, scripture warns us of deception in the area of our conduct as professing believers. And here's some areas of deception you and I must watch out for as believers in Christ. Number one, possessing inflated, self-exalting views of ourselves as it relates to spirituality and godliness. Possessing inflated, self-exalting views of ourselves as it relates to being spiritual and beyond spiritual deception. In other words, here's a person who says, you know, I'm strong in the Lord. I don't even have to be wary of spiritual deception because I'm firm in the word. I'm solid in the word. I'll share this with you and pardon the illustration. So sometimes I'll be watching some things on television which would be clear and I would say to you, it, it's heresy. And Chad would say to me, why are you watching that? And I would say, because I need to know the arguments. I need to know so that I can, when I hear and I'm familiar with the arguments, I can, I'm able to answer. Here's the truth. I'm not expecting and suggesting that if one is not grounded in the word that they do that, that is not for everybody. But we do that as preachers, we do that as pastors, because if we don't know what's happening, what people are being exposed to, then we will not be in a position to rightly address in nuanced ways the issues. But we need to watch this idea that we are so strong in the Lord, we are so grounded in the word, that we are even beyond sin and beyond the possibility of deception. Let me say this, the best of us, if I might use that expression, the best of God's people, apart from the grace of God, fall into error and deception. Listen to the Apostle John. 1 John 1 verse 8. This is along the lines 
of spiritual deception, possessing inflated, self-exalting views of ourselves. Here's what the Apostle John cautions. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Listen to Paul in Galatians chapter 1, 6 verses 1 to 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he what? Deceives himself. We are to watch this temptation of possessing inflated, self-exalting views of ourselves with respect to sin, being above sin, and being above falling into deception. Secondly, and I know time is going, but very quickly, deception may come in the form of a settled comfort and complacency in a life of sin. Do you know people are deceived that way? People are deceived, and deception comes in this way. They are in a settled comfort and complacency in a life of sin. It is what the writer to the Hebrews alluded to in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, where he addressed his readers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's writing to Christians, professing Christians, and he's saying here, Take heed, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And you ask yourself the question, how does one get there to a point where as a professing believer one can rest complacently, comfortably in a life of sin? And short answer, it does not happen overnight. It happens by degrees. Little by little, over time, until one gets there, it often begins with neglect of our spiritual duties, with neglect of the spiritual disciplines. We become remiss in prayer. We become remiss in church attendance. In fact, listen, the very idea that we could neglect these means of grace to begin with, these areas of spiritual discipline, is itself a form of deception. Because here's the truth, if we believe that we can live without prayer, if we believe that we can get ahead without Bible reading, if we believe that we can get beyond, above Bible reading, do without these things, that really signals what? Arrogance, pride. It signals self-deception. And with the neglect of prayer, Bible reading, and other spiritual discipline, what happens? we soon find that our perception and understanding of sin is not what it used to be. No longer is sin hideous. No longer is sin sinful. We begin to make compromises. We start to think according to the thought patterns of this world. We learn to rationalize and explain away our behavior, our sins. Then over time, what happens? We lose sensitivity to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, losing a sense of love for God. And then what happens? The heart becomes cold. The heart becomes hardened until we find ourselves comfortably resting in sin. Do you know many a professing Christian 
is there no twinge of conscience with respect to sin. They can lie, they can do all kinds of sinful things without batting an eyelid, without the slightest sense of conviction from the Holy Spirit. Now that's a dangerous place. Well, how do we combat and overcome spiritual deception? That will remain for next time. May God, by his grace, keep us humble, keep us on our guard, keep us close to Christ, so that we might not fall into hell. Because the best of men are at their best but men. We need the grace of God.